I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Dr. Chris Unger. Chris has been working in both K-12 and higher ed systems for more than 35 years and continues to do what he can to transform how we think about and do teaching, learning, and school. Much of Chris's current endeavors can be found on his website, youcanchangeeducation.org, and a Revolution in Education podcast series. All the links... And Dr. Unger's email will be in the show notes. So check them out. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. You've always got something going on. So let's get this conversation rolling by telling us a little bit about what you got going on these days. Yeah, well, first, I'm glad to call you Dr. Downing. You know, I knew you when you were, I feel like I knew when you were a little baby and you weren't referred to as Dr. Downing. There was no doctor in front of your day. It was, you know, just. Just Matt. Just Matt. Now you're Dr. Downing, which is so that's fun. And also I appreciate you making me feel good knowing that I've worked in education for over 35 years now. That's thank you very much for that reminder. So what do you want? Let me tell you who I am when I do. No, like, yeah. Give us a like you always have something going on, right? Like oh, every yeah, time yeah, I yeah, talk yeah. to you, you're like, yeah. yeah, I got this going on. I got that going yeah, on. So yeah, I, yeah. I wanna know like what you have going on. That's going to get me interested, going to get our listeners. Oh, wow. Dr. Unger's up to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So as you know, I think you know, I'm really into wayfinding. Mm-hmm. Wayfinding is kind of like, uh, without going into a lot of details, it's kind of the uh, sort of the, I don't know, the art of pe- how people find their way to life. Okay. I think it's a really interesting question, right? Like, how do people end up where they are? What decisions did they make, make along the way? What serendipitous relationships or connections or events took you on a different journey, right? It's sort of like you probably could look back in your life and say, oh, yeah, that one meeting, like my entire life changed because of that one meeting, you know, or, mm. you know, this event or this, you know. And, you know, so, you know, there's a couple of ways to think about this. Either you let life happen to you, or you actually sort of, you know, design your life. And so I'm really interested in like how people have made decisions on the trajectory of their life and how that has resulted in various outcomes. So 
I am actually going to start a podcast asking people about that very mm. thing. Mm. Like, how do you actually design your life? What decisions have you made along the way? And, you know, what are some things that you think about when you, you know, when you make those decisions and based on the sort of what values, perspectives, insights about yourself? I just think it's really interesting, you know, think about, I mean, it's related to this podcast, right? Yeah. Like people are on this podcast, like, well, I don't know. Do I want to get a doctor? <laughs> I don't want to get a doctor. Should I get an EDD? Should I get a PhD? Mm -hmm. I mean, what school should I go to? Why would I go to that school? These are all things you're asking right now. So yeah. that's actually part of the wayfinding process. It's like, yeah. you know, it's a big choice. Like, okay, I think I'm going to get my doctorate. Okay, fine. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Well, where are you going to go? Well, I think I'm going to. And the choice could have significant impact. Yeah. Well, it's not a small thing. Yeah, but that's, so that's what I'm up to. I, it's a new thing. I'm you, you, first first person I told actually <laughs> that I am starting this podcast on how people find their way to life. Well, now now that you've announced it, so so <laughs> now you got to do it. But, so it's I a new it. it's a new thing, but it's not like I've heard you talk about this yeah, in, in many different ways in many different classes and conversations. Like this is maybe a new project or a new podcast, yeah, but it's yeah, something yeah. that you've obviously been thinking about and practice, you know, day in and day out. Now, as you think about wayfinding, you said something that I just want to ask you about. So we have these big events, and I've, I've been thinking about this recently. We have these big events that sort of are, are markers in our life that we can look back mm -hmm. and we're like, yeah, that was an event. But then we have all of these small little things that happen. And sometimes maybe they might have a bigger or I don't know, a big impact if you combine them. Like, how do you view the interaction of these big events versus the small events as we're trying to find our way? Well, you know, so that's an that's interesting question, right? So I would say that the either the the big event leads to all these little events because <laughs> mm, you wouldn't have those little events if you didn't have the big event. Or there's a series of little events that kind of crescendo until you making a big choice, like yeah. say, you know, boy, I hate to say it this way. People are going to get mad. Maybe so. <laughs> you've been, you've been working in the same school and school system for a few years and you're like going, you know, you love the kids, you love what you do, but the atmosphere and conditions are just stifling. Like, and you're kind of going through the emotions and you're following the curriculum and there's a bunch of different things that are just sort of static or even you know toxic and i hate mm. to say that but yeah. you know so you've been going through that and so there's a series of like meetings and interactions and you know confrontations or you know over three years and then finally you know those little things all of a sudden you're like you know what i'm out of here <laughs> i i do not want to be here anymore it's I'm suffering. I'm not doing what I want to do. Mm. And I'm going to actively look for a new job or I could take change direction. So I guess that's one way that the little events can crescendo into a big decision that you make that leads to a different sort of pathway or trajectory in your life. But then again, like, so you, let's say you do, you decide, oh, I'm going to put the word out to all my friends. I'm looking for a new job. And a friend of yours, I'll make it fun. <laughs> friend of yours says, Hey, you know, you know, I, I, I have a, a cousin 
And he's he's opened a, a cupcake shop. You want to work there? Wow, Dad, Dad, I'd love to work at the cupcake shop. Like I don't want to do education right now. I mean, I love education. I love kids. I love you. And then you start to think about it and you talk with me because you know I'm a big ID. That's not <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know. So you talk with me, another event, we call it medium size or small size, whatever event. And you say, hey, Dr. Unger, I don't know whether, you know, I should actually just quit my job as a teacher and help start this cupcake shop because I really love kids and I really want to. I said, well, hey, why don't you create a summer program and bring a bunch mm-hmm. of kids in the cupcake shop and have them help you start the business? Yeah. Get the high school students to help you or whatever. But get out of the normal trajectory, you know, things yeah. that happen and keep, you know, the system and get out of the system and like, you know, you can still work with kids and then maybe you make an after school program and you have it in the back of the cupcake shop. So there's other mm-hmm. ways to do this. And I don't know if you know, your listeners, you, I think Matt, you may remember this, but there's a really great Ted talk called uh, once upon a school with Dave Eggers, the writer. Yeah, I love that. You should watch that because all he did is he wanted to create a, a little tutoring center for kids in the back of his store. You know, and then, you know, three years later, they've got like 50 of these around the world and they're serving like 15,000 kids. Mm. So small move, big outcomes. Yeah. Or not such a small move. I mean, going from being a third grade teacher in a local elementary school to helping start a cupcake shop down the street is kind of a big move. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love the. The way that you broke that down and interconnected the two and one built upon the other and they and they're interrelated and and I really like the the examples that you gave as well so as as someone's trying to find their way as as they're trying to go forward right because that's that's a big thing for yeah, right. ADD or just in life right yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to oh, trying to find oh. my way what yeah what have you seen as you've been thinking about this and applying it and contemplating like what have you seen as instrumental factors in helping people make their way? Well, I mean, I'll give uh, this, and I don't know if this is the right time to do it, but I'll do it anyway. So I'm going to tell this story. <laughs> I was on, so I have a number of advisors and of course I'm going to be biased. And I, I really do believe in our program at Northeastern is, is really, really good for a variety of reasons. And I guess one of the reasons I'll kind of highlight this, and in a little bit, I'll be answering your question through this story. Yeah. So I'm an advising. She works at a, a college, and she's really into. She works at a, a college, and she's able to work with young women in this college, and she teaches this class on sort of social emotional well being and health and spirituality and. Some, you know, and, you know, the, the youth that she works with, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big influence on them. You know, these are, you know, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors in college, and they're trying to figure out what is this social, emotional, well-being stuff, and how do I take care of myself, and why should I care, and all this stuff. But she, she engages them very proactively, and it's powerful. But yeah, as we were talking this morning, literally this morning, she was, she was telling me, like, I don't know if I really want to be at the college anymore. I want to, like, work mm. with kids this age, but young adults, you know, people in their mid-20s, early 30s, late 30s. They're, okay. They're trying to figure this out. You know, how do I take care of myself? How do I concern myself with my own well-being? How do I stay healthy? 
kind of a big deal now, right? It's kind yeah. of come to a come to a crescendo and so like well, not crescendo, but it's it's been tightened in the last couple of years with COVID and all that kind of stuff. So so I was talking with her about this and I was listening a lot to what you know, I was I'm always asking, well, what do you really want to do? and I asked you've heard me say this before, probably yeah. like I actually do these wayfinding interviews and then I guess I'll I might be crazy to say this, but if everybody, anybody wants a wayfinding interview with me, just hit me up and I will <laughs> get on for an hour and I will ask you some questions and I will listen a lot and then we'll start to converse about what potential trajectories are you could take advantage of. And so in this case, you know, one of the questions, the first questions I ask in a wayfinding interview is if you look in a crystal ball five years from now and you are doing something, you know, you're looking into the future and you are doing something, you cannot believe you are doing that. Like, I cannot believe that that is what I am doing because that is what I would really like to do. That's what I really would love to do. I'm like living my best life and I'm doing the work I really want to do. I'm making the difference in the world I really want to make. My question to them then is, what are you doing in that crystal ball? And then, and then I say, okay, let's start from now. What can you do now towards making that image or vision of yourself in five years become a reality? So when I asked that question of this advising, she was not thinking about working in a higher institution, but maybe connected or affiliated with a number of different sort of health and well-being centers and networks and organizations and running these sort of, I don't want to call it a course, but it's kind of like a course, like a eight to 10 week sort of like, well, for lack of another word, it's kind of a course, but it's an engagement. It's like getting eight or nine, 10 women into this space and having a conversation about where they want to go, where they want to be, how they want to be healthy what's getting in the way of them being healthy now and what are the kinds of things that can help them become be more cognizant of what they can do for themselves to be healthy and feel good about themselves and and so right right then and there she's changing her DIP the dissertation of practice which is our dissertation in our in our dissertation action research you you're not just studying something, you are doing something. So what she's going to do is she's going to reach out to this organization that she's been affiliated with 20 years and say, I want to pilot this thing. And they're going to go, cool. And then she's going to pilot this you know, endeavor with eight or nine or 10 women of various ages. And she's going to document the impact that it has on their perspectives of themselves and how they perceive their well-being and what actions they can take to be more healthy. And that is like a, so I don't want to call it like a huge shift, but it yeah. was kind of a big shift. Yeah. And it was a one hour conversation. Then her, her entire DIP has changed now. But what you asked me, what do I do? I think the things that I do is listen and ask, ask, I guess, what do you really care about? What matters to you? What difference in the world do you want to make? And then I say, okay, so 
you know, how can we start having, what's the pathway you can take to be doing that? And then we start to iterate and brainstorm about that. And then I just listen a lot. I guess that's the most important thing is like, ask what really matters to you, what you're passionate about, what you really want to be doing, and then saying, okay, let's think about ways you can start moving in that direction. Yeah. And usually they say, well, you know, oh, I guess I could do this, or I guess I could do, and I'm like, okay, so no, why aren't you doing that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got it. <laughs> you know, I want to share a quick thing, and I don't know whether this, uh, this all emanates from this uh, this thing that happened to me, and I'm not sure this is going to be value to your listeners. But for my 20, and I've told you this, I think, that before. For my 21st birthday, I was living, in, I was going to school in Connecticut, but my 21st, my 21st, for my, you know, I was going to go live with my mother for the summer, and you know. Prior, you know, for my 21st birthday, prior to the summer, she basically said, okay, here's your 21st birthday present. I've written all these cool people in Los Angeles that I feel are making a living doing what they love to do. And I asked them if they would have coffee or a hamburger with you. Mm. So you're going to come out and you're going to spend the summer going and having a hamburger or coffee with all these cool people that are making a living doing what they love to do. What? So literally, that's what I did. And... Not that it's important that these people are famous because it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're doing what you love to do yeah. and being able to make a life and living out of it, then that's, you know, it doesn't matter if you're famous. But now I'm kind of old, so people might, listeners might not know who this person is at all, which is looking more sadder now you pointed out how old I am. You know, I had burgers with Ray Bradbury, the, who oh, wrote wow. Fahrenheit 451 and Martian Chronicles and yeah, like I literally people. ended up in his office on the second floor above a diner in <laughs> Beverly Hills. And his office was huge and it had all kinds of like, you know, toys. And I don't know, I don't know if Star Wars, Star Wars around, but it was like starships and rockets and mm. balls. And he said, let's go have a burger. And, you know, I met with sculptors and radio broadcasters and you know, all kinds of people. And, mm. you know, it's, it's not that big you know like the insight basically was this they were like well you know ray, race ray bradbury said well i loved writing so i mean i that's all i, I that's all i was gonna do <laughs> so i was just gonna pursue that and everybody said that like there's no way and if you listen to people that are super passionate you know, they find any way to do what they love to do. What keeps people from from following their passion? Because there's other writers out there that love to write, but they haven't followed that passion like Ray Bradbury did. Well, I mean, that's a really good question. And, you know, I have been thinking about that quite a bit. And in fact, actually, that's one of the reasons I want to do this hmm. wayfinding podcast, because I want to I want to lift up the stories like yeah. Like, I want to identify people who are, you know, living, you know, I don't know, you can, it's a cliche, but like living their best life. Mm. Right? As a good friend of mine, Cass Grace, she, she coined that with me. It's just like, well, what, you know, what does it mean to live your best life? And, you know, and I say, you know, how are you, how are you living the life you really want to live? And I think that, you know, just, I, I don't want to go off the deep end here, but it's <laughs> Unfortunately, our, okay, K-12 systems are not set up to help you think about 
what your interests or passions are, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not set up to support you in terms of identifying your strengths. And so, you know, you have an escalator model of schooling K-12 where you're just grade to grade accumulating, you know, credits. And you got to take all this subject matter and you graduate and you're like, well, well now what? Now, if you're in a middle, upper middle class neighborhood or system or culture or community, you know, like I, I went to high school and don't get, get mad at me from there. I went, I went to high school in Westport, Connecticut, which with one of the best school systems in Connecticut and it's ultra rich, which is another matter. But, you know, it was like, it was never a question. I was going to go to a really good college. Right. But, you know, across the country, you know, 85% of other kids and 90% are sort of like, well, you know, I'm just going through the motions. What's the point? I don't know where I want to go. I'm supposed to go to college and I, and I get a job, but nobody's asking you, oh, well, you know, what do you, well, what do you like doing? Oh, I like, X or like Z and oh, let's have you do more of that and explore that. So I think from, and then I actually don't know whether, I mean, I, I, I could be very wrong here, so you can fault me for this, <laughs> but you know, I guess part of what I wanted to say and sharing my 21st birthday story was that with that experience, just meeting all those people had a huge impact on me. Yeah. Like it made me think, yeah, okay, all right, well, what do I want to do in life and how do I make sure that I'm pursuing it, right? So my mother kind of set me up that way. She's also at a young age said, you know, you are wonderful, which is a nice thing for kids to hear, which they shouldn't (laughs) hear anyway, right? Don't you tell all your kids, you know, you have three beautiful kiddos there and yeah, I've seen them a couple times and, you know. And you tell them that you're wonderful and beautiful and mm-hmm. I want you to live your best life, right? Are all families saying that? Do all kids get that message? So I don't think so. And so you go through the motions, you graduate from high school, maybe you go to college and continue to go through the motions or you don't go to college and you just, you know, you need a job. So yeah. you pick up a job and, you know, all of a sudden you're working, you know, place X and... You just kind of fall into a habit of working a place. There's a sense of the point is like I talk about schools and the most important thing about schools is that you really should be giving youth a sense of agency, which means I can design my life and I can pursue the things I want to pursue and I should be paying attention to what makes me feel good and what I'm happy doing and where I feel masterful or competent doing and how I, and possibility, agency and possibility. That is the most important thing we can give mm-hmm. you. And so like, we don't do that in schools. Yeah. And I don't know if that happens in most families. And again, people can get really mad at me and fault me for saying that, but I'm just, I've been around the block. I've worked in communities where mm-hmm. That sense of, you know, I was working in a community in North Portland. I've, I've you know, I've worked everywhere. I'm speaking, I'm like, I've worked, people laugh. Like, oh, he's worked everywhere. Well, that can't be true. And then they mention places. Like, yeah, I've been there. I worked. <laughs> so, um, so North Portland, right? Five miles north of uh, Portland, Oregon. And I was working in high school. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I could see the city. It was, you know, it was on a hill. High school's on a hill. I could see it. 
And I'm like, shoot, man, how often do you take advantage of Portland and going into Portland and seeing Portland? And, and they're all saying like, oh, these kids never go to Portland. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we have this ride, it's a bus ride down the street. He says, no, no. And then I said, you don't understand, Chris. We don't talk about where they can go, what they can do, and what their possibilities agency mm. are in this community. And I was like, well, why not? He says, if one of these kids went up and told their mom or dad that they were going to go somewhere and lead, pursue the life they want to live, they're going to go move to California, and they're going to da da da. They would like, they would like, I mean, literally, they told us, you can't fault me for that. And they literally said that they would probably slap them and say, how can you think better of, of yourself than me? You're probably mm. going to stay here and be like me. I mean, mm. that's just such a bad thing, way to say it. But I'm just yep. telling you, like, eventually, this is why I work in schools. Because mm. they're designed, they're, they're factories designed to, you know, have kids go to the escalator version of the factory and accumulate grades and credits and then have a, a high school degree. I mean, that's, you know, and then of course, I'll super, super lay that with, uh, overlay that with the last 15 years with No Child Left Behind and the legislatures and legislation around, you know, supposedly ensuring that all schools are quality schools by, by being measuring ELA and math tests, math scores, like everything is zeroed in. Like, okay, the most important thing we can do right now for these kids is to raise their ELA and math proficiency. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. It's bad. And I, I'm, you know, I'm a cage program. It's not everybody that's decided to go to EDD, by the way, or is <laughs> K to 12. I mean, we are in our program, you know, I would say 35%. 40% maybe are K to 12, 30% or higher ed, 30, and, and, and then there's like 15, 20% are in nonprofits, the military, healthcare. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to like just talk about the EDD in terms of like, it's about K to 12. I know I have a, I have a, an advisee who works in a large healthcare system and her work is how to mobilize various stakeholders in the healthcare system to innovate. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's also really interesting. Like how do you support innovation in the healthcare system? Yeah. Yeah. I love the way that you were talking about agency. Like I think about agency a lot, but I don't oftentimes pair it with possibility, like oh, yeah. agency. And then the, the idea of possibility. And I think we shut that down because it makes this factory model difficult to manage right if you have outliers and a kid that's achieving this and wants to do this it, it's hard to manage that within a huge factory setting so no let's let's get rid of the possibility let's get rid of the agency and what we want is whatever this percentage or, or follow this textbook or, or or do this and do that so so i think that's really interesting that you pair them and i think it helps reshape the conversation because agency, sometimes I think it's hard for people to get their heads around, but this idea of possibility is a little bit easier to sort of envision. Now, earlier, when, when you're talking about wayfinding, so it's important to dream, right? You, you mentioned that, right? You're dreaming. What do you want to be? You know, like, where do you see yourself in five years? And how do, you, how do you deal with a dream that isn't connected to reality? So what I mean by that is it, there's someone, you know, take a kid, right? And they say, what do you want to be when you get older? A basketball player, right? But 
that kid doesn't have the height and doesn't have the athleticism, he's not going to be an NBA. So, you know, people that are older, you know, maybe don't want to be a basketball player, but they might envision something that is maybe not connected to like reality. How do you navigate that? Well, firstly, I mean, I don't want to be the one that says, well, that's impossible. I mean, you know, like Muggsy Bogues, who's that guy could play, man. (laughs) Well, you know, so I don't know what you're, you know, so no, but really, literally, okay, you know, you want to, well, yeah, I want (laughs) to keep it open. Yeah, because now, okay, so you say, I love playing basketball. So I say, okay, well, let's go for it. Why would it, what? Let's look at, I mean, you know, I don't know if you've seen this or that people have different versions of this. And of course, we've got the Oscar issue going on here. But, you know, <laughs> it was interesting. I mean, you know, okay, here we go. Here, here I'll give an example of this. So, you know, King Richard, the movie yep. King Richard. So it was interesting. You know, I thought, okay, so my grandson was in there. So people don't know me. Another way to, you know, so I've got a, I got a lot of stuff going on here in the house. I've got four generations. My grand, my oldest daughter, and my grandson were with me. And I got the three dogs and the cat. You know, we used to have a lizard, but I think the lizard's dead now. So anyway, <laughs> I think it's dead. You know, anyway, and we got this house. There's a lot of stuff going on, and you know, my grandson lives with me, and you know, I'm, you know, I, you know, I really think about how I'm shaping his growth and his development and what impact I'm making. So we hang out quite a bit, and I'm like, you know. You know, I, I wanted to watch this movie because it's about these two young women, you know, mm-hmm. in Compton, California, right? You know, black women tennis who have achieved incredible, you know, you know, their stature is yeah. unbelievable, right? And so I wanted to watch this movie. But, you know, when you watch a movie, people are like, oh, it's a movie. It would never happen in real life where it's all make believe. Mm-hmm. I didn't want him to get lost in the story. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool movie. It has a neat theme. You know, yeah. that. I'm like, okay, well, before I watched the movie, I found on YouTube match with Serena and Vanessa playing each other or Venus, Venus and Serena. Because I wanted to see that it wasn't this like make believe, but this is a reality. Mm-hmm. Like here are these two women and they are kicking butt on the court. And this is what it looks like. And this is what they've achieved. Now let's watch them. And this is what it took. And this is what, you know, obviously it's about the father and all that kind of stuff. But the point was what's interesting, right? Cause I knew this was going to happen. Right? So what's the na- next thing after he sees the tennis match and then he watches the movie, guess what he tells me? He wants to play. That's right. <laughs> He wants to play. So what do you think you, he and I did last week? We went to the tennis store and we got a bunch of rackets and not just for him, but my daughters who are, you know, now 25, 26, and, uh, 24, 26 and 31, right? I got rackets for the entire family. So, you know, in this summer, we're probably going to be hitting the ball around mm. now. Is he going to pick it up? Is he going to be cruel and cool? I have no idea. But you ready for this, Matt? Comes around here. I am creating the opportunity for him to like explore what that might feel like to play. And if he gets super jazzed, because he's already, we've already been at the high school tennis court. And we've been watching the high school team play. And he's like, yay, when I get into high school, I'm going to play. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah. So it's yeah. not like 
That's oh yeah, I'm going to become the next Sampras or right. uh, Agassi or whatever yeah. it is. It's yeah. sort of like, well, we don't know where it's going to go, but I'm not going to close the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Fostering the opportunity, not shutting down the possibility, following interests, and 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 seeing where they go. Right, like one step at a time through each totally. change, the small changes, the big changes, and throughout that, they're going to find their way. Right. Well, you were the most important thing, right, is that, you know, when I'm when I'm working with them, when I'm raising them, when I'm talking with them, it would be like, okay, so let's say he plays all summer and he says, you know, I don't really want to play tennis anymore. It's not about whether he plays tennis. I just say, you know what, I want you to always be thinking about the things that you like to do and want to love to do. And you know what, I want you to always have the mindset that you know, you should never succumb to just doing things for the sake of doing things, but always thinking about what are the things that you really interest you, interest you what are the things you really love, hmm. and like putting yourself in a position to pursue those interests and passions. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're going through the motions. Yeah. I don't know. It feels, I mean, you know, it, you know, part of it is I think a lot of us, we fall into these we fall into, you know, needing to make money and, you know, we have a family and it's like, I always tell you, it's like, I'm not telling you to quit your date and your job, you know, you need to be paying a mortgage and raising mm-hmm. So, but, you know, why not step back and ask, you know, do I really like doing what I'm doing? Is there something else I could do? Yeah. How would I even envision and think about even pursuing that or potentially pursuing that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe find some ways that you can play with that. Yeah, I love it. I, I've experienced, you know, talking to you and, and going through that process. And you've really helped for myself gain clarity and gain sort of inspiration and, and seeing it clearly. And and I think I'm in need of another session, you know, so it's, it's like I have <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah, of decisions of coming up. But but yeah, so I just, you know, I've, I've appreciated that. And you live that out, which, which I think is, is, is so important because it's authentic and it comes from you know, inside, like a deeper passion. That's what that's what you want to do, and that's what and that's what you're good at too. So, so I appreciate that, and thank you for sharing all of those stories as well. So, we're we're really far into this conversation. We haven't talked yeah, about yeah. the EDD. So, Doctor Unger, you have an EDD. Tell us a little bit where you got it. What made you decide to get it? Well, so it's gonna it's gonna it's, it's gonna be interesting because you're gonna see all these things and. <laughs> You know, really, all the things we've been talking about wrapped in my story. Yeah. So, so I I, I graduated, you know, from Wesleyan University, and I, you know, after I spent the summer in Crested Butte, Colorado, which was beautiful, and that's another story where my girlfriend and I opened an outdoor barbecue stand. But that's another, that's another story. And then, I mean, I went out, I went out there on my motorcycle. I made it in three days, by the way. Proud of that from Connecticut and Crested Butte opened up an outdoor barbecue stand and moved to what Northampton, Massachusetts. And you know, my girlfriend was there. We kind of broke up, but I got another girlfriend at Northampton. So anyway, so I was okay. <laughs> you know what? I, I wanted to write. I wanted to be a writer. I loved mm-hmm. writing. And, you know, I got this pizza delivery job that, that was from five to like two in the morning, which allowed me to write during the day. So this is, you know, I wanted to write. I was writing poetry. I was writing short stories. I was sending them around. And I decided I should apply to a writing school. You know, I, Iowa actually has one yeah. of the best uh, 
uh, writing schools in the country, the University of New Hampshire. And anyway, you know, my girlfriend and I then we actually broke up. So then I was without a girlfriend in Northampton. I'm like, well, why am I here? So I'm going to move to Boston because I got friends there. So moved to Boston, and I'm you know, join the forces with this household of renegade you know, individuals my age, basically two blocks north of Cambridge, of, of Harvard on Mass Ave. And, you know, I was actually working like as a word processor at a Boston University School of Medicine, which is kind of weird, but I can continue to think about what I really want to do. So here I am making a living doing that, but I really want to be a writer. So I, I do the GREs. I get in my, I get my professors to like submit, you know, references to later submit the references to this is going to be totally outlandish, but you might cut this out, but we'll see. You know, I got all my stuff in and I'm waiting here about, you know, writing school. And this is like in April. This is a true story. I don't think it would happen today. I just think it was, this is like one of those turns and twists in the road. My friend that I was living with is like, Hey, you're always talking about education, you know, and how it stinks. And, and da, da, da. you know, why don't you go talk to some people at the Harvard graduate school of education you know, see what they're up to. I was like, so literally walk like a block down the street, <laughs> right? Like literally. And I go into this, you know, this office, you know, first floor of Longfellow Hall, APM Way, and everybody's going there. And I meet this woman, young woman. She was about 35, 34. And we got talking to education. And she told me how she had just come to grad school of education a year before uh, i guess escaped this abusive relationship in kentucky or something she'd never been outside of her town before oh wow on a whim she decided to apply to the harvard grad school of education she moved to cambridge and she'd been there for a year and her vibrancy and zest and energy and passion for exuberance around being there and learning and doing what she was doing just blew me away mm. and you know what she said she says like i said well oh my god that sounds incredible man I, maybe I, she said you you should apply and i was like yeah but it's yeah so you know applications are due january 15th right so I, she said says oh apply anyway and i was like what are you talking about like She's like, oh, yeah, like, who knows? Just go you know, send in your letter. And I'm like, oh, it's like, really? I mean, you know, but she was so, this is what I mean by the twist in the road. Like yeah. that meeting, that one meeting has changed the entire, it's almost like the Robert Frost thing. It was like, there's a fork in the road, mm -hmm. right? She said, you should apply. I literally went down to the pub in the basement, had no, I borrowed a pen. I had no paper. On napkins, I wrote my essay. I seriously wrote my application essay on napkins in the pub, in the basement, and then typed it up and then called my professors and I had them redo their references, sent them to Harvard, called the GRE people, had them send my, within a week, I had all my stuff in. A week later, I got a letter and I was in. What? And you were late. I know. I know. I was like, what? so that's what I mean. It was crazy. So, 
Anyway, so I enrolled. I got in. I was I was you know, enrolled in September. So we're in this courtyard area where they have these fancy, you know, drinks and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm meeting people from all across the country, you know, and and, and for that matter, around the world. In the yeah. math, you know, this is a master's program at Harvard. And they're like, yeah, I'm from, you know, Denver, I'm from Japan, and I'm from LA, and I'm, and I'm like, and they're like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I live up the block, you know? So anyway, try to move this along a little more. You know, I had an incredible, I mean, I, I just was, I, I loved it. I, I got a job. Again, another example of this. I, I was in the master's program, but I needed to make money. And so there was this initial, um, you know, at the time we got the Harvard got this huge federal grant and started the first sort of research center on the use of educational technology in science, math, and computing education. And I got a job there. So, you know, I had, I mean, the courses were great, the program was great, and all that kind of stuff. It was the first year they did this, you know, sort of educational technology or learning instruction program at Harvard. Hmm. And I was in that and I was research center and, you know, they, <laughs> again, this is just, this is why you cannot erase the possibility Matt. Yeah. You get it. They're like, yeah, I'm like, I got to stay. I mean, I can't leave. I, I want to go into the doctoral program. And they're like, no, 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 no. They don't want to, they won't accept, you know, they only want, they want you to leave for at least a couple of years and get some experience. And I said, I said, I'll be semi nice. I said, F that man. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to apply. And literally, I wrote my application and I said, I said, you know, like being here at Harvard is like, you know, like having a slice of really, really good chocolate cake. Mm. And, you know, I want some more. And I got in. I went right, I went right in the doctoral program. So there's a couple of things I wanted to share. I'm sure you had some other questions about this, but. You know, and I do have comments, which we'll get to about the EDD and how to make choices around the EDD and what you do in the EDD. But in reality, what made going to the Harvard Graduate School of Education such a great experience for me was not the classes I took, but the fact that I was working at this research center, and then shortly after that, I started to, I worked at a place called Harvard Project Zero. And Project Zero is, and you may not have heard of it, but it's internationally renowned. It's an educational think tank with some incredible people. And that was my experience. When I think about being at Harvard, it's not like the classes I took, it's about the people I interacted with yeah. and the work I did there because I ended up working at the Educational Technology Center, then I ended up working at Harvard Project Zero. And uh, I, I guess I will also say this because it's an important point. I have all these different things I want to make a point of in terms of choosing an EDD and then making the most of your EDD experience. But I got assigned this advisor and she was great. She was a cool person. I liked her. She was really into writing and writing instruction and writing education and stuff. But that wasn't where my head was at. I wasn't really into that very much. But there was this really cool dude who was really into critical thinking and 
sort of innovative ped- pedagogies and all this other stuff. And I'm like, man, I don't want to work with this person. I want to work with this person. Mm. And, you know, and, you know, I've told this story several times, but it's worth saying again. So his name is David Perkins and you can look him up. He's written a number of books and fabulous, incredible. He's continues to be, he was a mentor, became my mentor. He's been a mentor beyond being at Harvard. We get together every now and then still to this day, 30 years or 35 years later. And I went into his office and I said, look, I, I really would like you to be my advisor. I don't really want to work with this other person. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. Well, he says, well, why don't you tell me what you're interested in? And I'll tell you what I'm interested in. And then we'll see what happens. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, so I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm talking for like 10, 15 minutes. This is what I'm interested in. This is what I want to do. This is what I, you know, all this stuff. And he's listening, which is great. He's like, it was just funny. He's like, okay, well, this is what I'm interested in. So he starts talking about what he's interested in. Then literally, literally, so he, his expertise is in thinking, like how to think well. That's his expertise. Then. Okay. Like, how do you think well? And so he's sitting there and he, he literally tells me, he says, Okay, let me think about it. <laughs> what he did is close his eyes and for four minutes was like moving his head around, actually thinking about it. <laughs> like, I was like, whoa, what the? This is like people say that all the time. Let me think about it. And then you're like, okay, I'll see you later. I'm, you know, uh, you know, and then, you know, like a week later, they say, yeah, yes or no. But like he's sitting there closing his eyes, he's <laughs> thinking about this thing. I'm like, wow, this is. Like, unbelievable. This guy is actually thinking about this stuff. <laughs> it just blew my mind. And he, and then I remember, look, he just opened his eyes and he said, okay, let's do it. And I was like, <laughs> and that was it. That, that shaped my entire, because then I was working on projects. Yeah. I ended up, uh, we got, we got a $2.6 million grant from the uh, Spencer Foundation. It was the largest grant they ever gave. Two six two point six million dollars is a lot of money back then. I mean, it's still yeah. a lot of money. I wish yeah. it was two point six million dollars, but it's you know more like five million these days or six million, uh, whatever it is. But we had, and we had like we had this major grant, and I won't go into details. Another story, you know, for like five or six years, and I ended up being like leading the research on that grant. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, so like my experience at Harvard was not like the classes. Yeah. It was like. It was like being with those people and talking yeah. and interacting with them and doing this really cool work. Now, and what then, was so great about that? Like, uh, like you said, it was like chocolate cake. Like, what was so great about interacting with those people and doing that work that made Harvard resonate so deeply with you? We got a, we got a grant to answer three very simple questions, okay? What does it mean to understand? How do you mm. teach? for understanding Hmm. and how do you assess understanding yeah and to have a team of like 12 people for five years answering those questions oh wow was really cool (laughs) you know and what we did is we spent the like the first two years like interacting with like 50 or 60 teachers across the boston area on how they answered those questions Mm -hmm. and then we identified like in reality, we identified like four exceptional teachers where we felt like they were teaching for understanding and 
they were, you know, they had developed ways to assess students' understanding. And then we like did really close like case studies of what they did with their students. And then I ended up with my team. I had a team of like three or four of us. And we would sit down with like six or seven different students in each of those classrooms and interview them twice for an hour, not just audio, but video. So we would ask them about the class and what they were learning and what they were understanding and all that kind of stuff. And we basically created a framework for how to assess whether a student understands anything. That to me was cool. Yeah. It was just cool. I mean, you know, it was, I don't know. It was cool. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I loved it. And then I ended up working there. I mean, think about how that all turned out. I got my degree and I ended up being a principal investigator there. And I started working, you know, eventually, you know, with that group. Worked in, you know, the Seattle area. We were working a lot in Bogota, Colombia. We were, I mean, it's just, you know, it. So just think about that. Going back to the initial commentary I had. You know, my friend says, go talk to somebody at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I mm-hmm. meet this woman and I decide to apply. And like my entire life is completely changed yeah. because of that one moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's really powerful. Now, now, if I remember correctly, you got hooded when your one daughter was, was super young. Yeah. I think I saw a picture of you yeah, yeah, with yeah. her in hand. It was a precious picture. Yeah, yeah. What was that like finishing up? your doctorate you know with a young child it's hard enough finishing up but but how did how did you navigate that well so you remember i was working pretty much full-time close to it and doing my thesis exactly when you know i had the kid you know i had my my oldest daughter who's still living with me right now and well basically i decided that you know, when she was born, I was going to spend as much time as I could, other than having to work, I was going to spend as much time as I could with her that I could. And I like, so that meant that I actually was writing my thesis either between nine and two at night or one to six o'clock in the morning. Because when I came home, I was like, all right, I'm going to play with my kid. Yeah. You know, and then she goes to sleep at nine. I'm like, okay, time to work on the thesis, you know, nine to one. Or, okay, I'm going to go to sleep from nine to two, and then I'm going to wake up at two, and I'm going to write it from two to six in the morning, and then I'm going to go to work, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to play with her again. Oh, wow. You were able to be, be that disciplined. Well, you know, it it also, I mean, there were other times, like in the summer, we were, we were staying at a beach house, and it was like, they're all at the beach, and I'm like, oh, man, I got like, I had to stay back at the house and mm. like write the thesis. I mean, it was yeah. a lot of work. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah, it's 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 not easy. I mean, you know this and I'm not sure other people have talked about this on the podcast, but, you know, you know, juggling family work and doing, you know, being in the program and doing your thesis in particular, because, you know, you're pretty much not entirely on your own, but it's pretty much independent work. And, you know, it's all on you. So you've got to be like, you've got to create all the systems to ensure that you persist. So Dr. Unger, you had a really good experience at Harvard, you know, it was life-changing. Is there anything, you know, that you wish you did differently within the program? 
No, I just think I, I had an unusual set of circumstances, although maybe not so unusual. I'm not sure. I mean, I mean, I just, it was really, really lucky or advantageous that I needed a job and I ended up working at the research center at Harvard, which then the educational technology center. And then that led to me working at Harvard project zero. Yeah. And so like I was like, it just, because I needed the job and I took those positions, like I was working with all the people that were at Harvard. So I didn't have this bifurcation. Like I work at this school district or I'm a principal mm -hmm. at this school. Like I, my, my thing was Harvard. I was at Harvard. I was studying at Harvard. I was working at Harvard. I was, yeah. you know, being mentored by people at Harvard. Uh, that was, I was just super lucky about that. And yeah. I don't know, you know, I don't know if there's, there's nothing, I mean, I, there's nothing I would have changed. I was just super lucky. Yeah. So thinking about EDD students, right. And potential EDD students, they're, they're thinking about getting into a program. They're looking, they're sort of reflecting, okay, what should I do? Maybe they're going to walk to the admissions office and hope, hope to talk to someone in there, you know, maybe not Harvard, maybe a different school. Yeah. What, what would you recommend that people look for when they're trying to look into an EDD program? So I'm very biased on a bunch of these things. So I'll just put that out. So I'll, but I'll, I'll just say it the way I see it and you can take it or leave it. You know, in Northeastern, we, we, we had the typical five chapter thesis. You would, you would do your courses and then you would get an advisor and then you would do a study on something. And, you know, we're not the only ones, but we decided to move into this action research model where it's not like, well, we're going to study something. No, you're going to do something. Yeah. <laughs> like you're going to do something somewhere. And, and if when I mean, the way I, so you also get an advisor from the get go. So you're just not lost, like taking classes and not connected to somebody that can this sort of mentor you or guide you along the way. I think that, in the best of all worlds, and I, you know, I'm not saying that I'm the only one that does this or we're the only program that does this, but I think that the, for me, when I have an advisee from early on, it is that question, where do you want to be in five years and how are we going to design your DIP? Because you're working on your thesis, your action research. How are we designing your action research, your DIP, so that it facilitates you getting to that vision five years from now. So you're not just going through the motions and studying something to get the EDD at the end of your name. Yeah. Rather, I'm asking you, what difference in the world do you want to make? And how do we, how do we use the, the, the program, the classes, the program, and your action research, your focus and the actions you're going to take in a community that's going to facilitate you making the difference in the world you want to make and getting to that point in the crystal ball five years from now. Hmm. And so I guess having said that, you know, it, I would be looking around at programs and I would be talking with 
I would be talking with, you know, trying to reach out to, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always available for people. I mean, I, I've got lots of calls. People, hey, I want to know about the program. If somebody sort okay. of talk to you about it. I'm like, I'm happy to talk to you about it. This is what it is. This is what, how we do it. This is how I think it could benefit you. But you should be reaching out to like yeah. faculty and other programs. And even better, talk with students or alum from those programs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and saying, you know, what was your experience? What did you gain from it? Is it? Has it accelerated you to be where you want to be? Has it accelerated you to being able to do what you really want to do? That is the most important thing. Not like, can I check off the box and put the EDE at the end of my name? But how has it, how is it, okay, how has it given you agency Mm. and possibility to do what you want to do? in the next five to 10 years? Yeah. That is the question. Mm. So how do students know if a program is, is going to help them accomplish that? Well, I would, I would actually talk with students or the alum yeah. of the program and ask them, like, did it do that? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, you know if, if people are interested in the EDD yeah. program, like, yeah. you know, because you're part of the podcast, you know, Call Matt Downing and say, "Well, what was your experience? What did you get out of it? Do you, do you was it? Did you see it as beneficial or talk mm. with you know any other you know the Philly crew? I call you the Philly crew. Since, <laughs> you know, you know Mike Dunn, Janine Dunn, yep. Julie Cook, and you know there's a bunch of others. And in fact, what I've done, people actually reached out to me, and then I've actually said, "Hey, you know, I know an alum. Would you like to talk to this? You know, and I put him in touch with the <laughs> alum." I mean, it's one thing to talk with faculty, right? Another thing to talk with actual other students or alum of the program. Like, what did you get out of it? I mean, so that's one thing, right? The other thing that's really, really important, and this is not a small thing, right? Like, and, you know, I'm trying not to just say that, again, we're not the only ones, but, you know, people, we, you know, we have, I don't know, we have like 1,300 doctoral students right now in our program. And I think it's because, I mean, obviously one of the major reasons is because it's online. And, you know, people poo-poo online. I actually think online, I mean, you know, again, you can take it what you want. You can talk with the students about this. But listen, if you're working full-time and you've got kids at home and you may be taking care of your parents, do you have time to drive in somewhere even one weekend a month? There used to be other programs like, it's only one weekend a month. It's like, yeah, well, that's a weekend a month. I don't have time to, like, drive five hours to this place or an hour and do this stuff. Like, and the flexibility of the online is like you can work on it like, you know, Sunday mornings or I'm at, I have, you know, or, you know, at work, I, want, I had some students were like doing it during their lunch hour at work, which I can't imagine how they did. Basically told their family, you know, Saturday mornings from seven to 12, I'm going to be, I'm going to be hunkered down at the Starbucks. Don't bother me. Don't call me. I'm doing my work. I remember another really great one of my advisors, advisees, sorry, you know, she would actually like, they had a habit of having an early dinner and then they would do homework as a family. But think about that. Her two daughters and her are doing homework at the, at the table. Yeah. Like I am going to school too. Yeah, that's cool. I always told, I always told my family, look, don't bother me every night from four to four fifteen, And that's how I got all my work done. Four to four fifteen. I don't know how you. Okay, all right. 
Dr. Unger, break down a little bit. You've been mentioning the DIP versus the traditional dissertation. I don't know if if everyone totally understands. I mean, we don't got to get in too much detail, but break it down a little bit. The, the big differences between this DIP you're mentioning versus this five-chapter dissertation. What What's the big deal? What's the big difference? Okay. Well, there's a huge difference, right? <laughs> so, so with that, so I had a, I had this amazing advisee and, you know, she took a series of experiential learning. I, I teach one of the courses I teach is on experiential learning. That's a whole other matter. We won't get into that today. And, you know, at her technical college, they pride themselves on doing a lot of experiential learning. You know, there's like 10,000 students and they have internships and research opportunities. And, you know, so they're very vocational based as a technical college. And so they do all these various things, job placements, uh, experiential learning kind of stuff. But when the more she took the classes and she talked with me, she was like, I don't think we're really doing it very well. <laughs> now, the five-chapter thesis thing is she might have gone around the technical college and interviewed some of the department heads and the faculty and the students and kind of did an investigation on, you know, how experiential learning was or wasn't working well at the college. And let's say she does all the interviews, she does the analysis, and it turns out that it's kind of hit and miss. There's some good places where experiential learning is taking place. There's some mediocre places, and there are some really bad examples of experiential learning throughout the college. And, you know, she would write it up and people would go, oh, that's great. It's good to know. It's hit and miss. We're not, we're, you know, some cases we're doing a good job and some cases we're not. And, you know, that's good to know. So there's, there's your five chapter thesis. Well, so now what, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, well, her action research was she did that, but then she had to decide what can I do? What can I do to, to improve the situation? So as she talked with all the people and she was finding this out, she engaged the department heads and the advisors and some students and so forth and so on. And they began to scratch their head about this problem, this issue uh, collectively and as a group. And they all, because she was great. She was a great organizer. People were really respected her. So they were very open to this question of whether or not they were doing a good job. And they realized that they weren't doing a very good job in many cases. So what she did for her action step was she co they co-designed like a whole new framework around experiential learning for the entire technical college. Oh, wow. So... It's not just studying something, it's doing something about it. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's a big difference. And so being able to do that increased her sense of agency on being able to make an impact in her community. And so the big thing here is not so much, yes, it was a big deal to kind of corral and coalesce and bring people together around developing a new framework, a new way of pursuing experiential learning in the technical college. But beyond that, she she's like, whoa, what else can I do? Yeah. How else can I make a difference? Mm. And that is huge. So the difference between just doing a, a study on something versus you know engaging in action research where you're 
making an impact on the issue or the challenge is significantly different. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you frame that. And it's always helpful, you know, and that's what I appreciate with this conversation, all of the examples, because it's one thing to say it, which you always say things really clearly, but then the example brings life to that. And, and I really appreciate yeah, that. Another quick example, because it's not a small thing, right? You know, kindergarten teacher in rural New Hampshire, a lot of trauma. When people think about trauma in inner city schools, but there's a lot of trauma in all contexts and in mm-hmm. rural areas. Yeah. And, you know, she went through her, what we call cycle one data collection, which was interviewing and doing focus groups with administrators and staff throughout the district realized that that people didn't know like how they were supposed to I mean how do you work with students who are facing trauma uh, day to day in the classroom like what do I do we're not going to just send them off to the guidance counselor I mean there's way what can a teacher do with kids who are you know you know exposed to trauma almost on a daily basis and they were like we don't know and she's like okay well, I've been investigating this. And in fact, I suggested the year before to like reach out to experts across the country on what they could do. And basically she created for her action steps was she created a series of workshops for all the teachers in their district on how they could, what they could do as teachers in classrooms to assist and support youth who are facing daily trauma. That's a big deal. Yeah. That's a big deal. It's bringing it's bringing about a change in a local context, and it, it you know beyond just the the research and the writing. That's really powerful. Yeah. As you work with people and they're thinking about you know okay I'm going to get an EDD or I'm I'm going to pursue this. What do you think they overvalue in a program? So so they're thinking about all of their things and they're sort of ranking them in a way that's that's more important than what it really is. In what ways do you see that happening? Things that are really, really important is, is it, are you able to focus on the thing that you care about? Mm. You're not, you know, one of the, hey, there's a, there's a student in Seattle that, or I asked this a lot, this student in Seattle to come in and talk with the new students in the program in Seattle. And she said something really, really great. Um, she said, this is a narcissistic program. <laughs> like, wow, that's super awesome. Right. Because it's not about, it's not a, you know, it's not about me, the faculty member, or you are appeasing me or getting a good grade for me. This program is about you, mm. what you're trying to get out of it. So if the program is not about you fitting into their agenda, but they're assisting and supporting you on your agenda, yeah. that is really important. Like, what are you, like, if you are interested in uh, how to support, you know, you know, create more learning communities that are focused on social emotional learning or if you're focused on you know wanting to like redesign high schools so they're more experiential or whatever it is is the program going to assist and support you on pursuing that interest that's the most important thing is the program going to assist and support you with the the ways you can make a difference in the world like we talk about being a change agent. Yeah. We talk about how you engage stakeholders in a process of making a difference in the world. And you are you are through the action research, you go through those activities and you gain those skills through the research. You know? So 
you know, are you coming out of the program with a sense, again, agency and possibility? Mm. Have you have you been able yeah. to explore your own sense of agency and your own sense of possibility? And have you has the program, the teachers you're working with, the classes you're taking, whether what kind of dissertation format it is, is it really affording you with the skills and competency to go out in the world and do what you want to do? That is the the central question. And that's the most important thing. So things like what what doesn't matter? Well, you know, I guess the second thing actually I will say is like, okay, you have to be realistic. I mean, you know, what can you afford? What can you not afford? You know, do I have to go to class two times a week? Well, well, I've got a three and four year old at home. I don't think so. Don't do that program because it's going to mess <laughs> your life up. I mean, you know, I don't know how to, else to put it, right? <laughs> I mean, it's true. I think that the other thing I think is really important is, you know, like, are there, is the program supporting your your social connectedness to faculty and fellow students? Because mm. do you feel like, and I do this a lot of my classes, right? And we do this in various ways in the program. Like, are there touch points and touchstones? Are there ways to like interact with faculty, talk with faculty, interact with fellow classmates? And so the social part of it to me is actually, I mean, I was, I mean, you know, my Harvard experience, I mean, the social aspect, I mean, I was working with everybody. So yeah. it was heightened. But when you're off working at a school district or at a at a hospital or you're in the military and you're kind of out there, you know, you don't want to feel like you're on an island. Like, do you have the opportunity to connect and reconnect and build relationships with faculty and students in the program? Yeah. So now bringing it a little bit closer, right, to your classroom, mm -hmm. right? So, you know. You have tons of classes. You've been involved with EDD programs, specifically at Northeastern. And, you know, you've grown, you know, your understanding of the EDD and specifically within your classroom as well. What do you what do you focus on, you know, within within your context that you can totally control? And I, I've been a part of those and they've been wonderful. What what drives that? What drives your classroom? What drives your philosophy within that EDD program? It depends on the class, right? So like the entrepreneurship class, which you guys were all part of, the Philly crew, when we met face-to-face -face for a summer, part of the yeah. summer. You know, like, who are you? What do you do? What's your interest? What's your passion? What are you trying to go? What are you trying to do? And And all the assignments in the class are sort of like, like the final assignment in the entrepreneurship class is like envisioning or dreaming about something that you might want to manifest in the world in the next year or so, 60 months to a year. And, you know, without going to details, like there's all these particular sort of ungarisms and mottos of the class, <laughs> right? One of them being think big, start small, be strategic. Yeah. So, you know, the project is very student-centered or learner-centered because 
whatever you decide you're going to work on is dependent on what you care about. <laughs> like that's really important, right? Like you're passionate, you care about it, you really want to do it. So you start there. And then I actually think, I have you think like in two to three years, how might you want to be pursuing that? Mm-hmm. And then people get freaked out because like, I don't think I can do that in three years. I said, okay, well, let's start with something very small that you could actually do that's pointed in the direction of doing that. So what would be a good example? Like, like a student will say, a student will say like, well, I want to upend high school and have our high school be completely different. And I want it to be project based. And I'm like, well, what do you think the likelihood of you being able to do that is? And I'm like, very little. Well, you know, can you do that in your classroom? Oh yeah. Okay. So let's think about you doing it in your classroom. That's where we start. And then, or are there two or three colleagues in your school that are also interested in doing project-based learning? And how would you engage them in thinking together about how you could do some cool projects in your classrooms? Let's start there. So it's like the big idea is like, I want everybody in the school to be engaging kids in project-based learning, but we can't start with that but you can start with, you know, what's realistic. And realistic is what can I do in my classroom and what can I do with some colleagues? And of course, if you do it with three colleagues and people see that the evidence of impact, then maybe three other colleagues in the next year are going to want to do it with you. And then it's going to be six colleagues. And then maybe yeah. the next year it's 12 colleagues, but that's, <clears throat> that's the think big, start small kind of notion. But back to your original question, it's like, it all revolves around what you want to do, what you're interested in, what you're passionate about. So yeah. as much as I talked overall, is the entire program going to assist and support you to pursue what you are passionate or interested in? Like I do that in every single classroom as well. Yeah. Like I focus in on like, what is the thing that you're really interested in or passionate about? And then I design the class around that interest or passion. Yeah. Yeah, and it circles back to what we were talking about at the beginning, right? Wayfinding, helping people find their way. And you bring that into the classroom with the interests, with their passions, with, you know, trying to live out what they're what they want to see in the next in the next couple of years. So I, I appreciate the way that you model that in your classroom and you, you're able to live that out with, within all of your classes and the program. Okay, so so that's really helpful. Students thinking about what program to get into, the different characteristics, the different features, and and what should be important as they make that important decision. So now a student is in a program, right? They've entered an EDD program. They're in it. They're along their way. And you've spoken to the student throughout our conversation in and out, but I want to sort of speak to them directly now. So they're in it. They're about, you know, a couple classes in, what should that student do so they can get a really good experience throughout the EDD program? Well, first of all, I would I would like investigate like, well, who are the faculty? And if, you know, two of them, three of them stand out or like, wow, that's that's a cool, you know. I I I I think that or you're in a class and you really like the faculty member. Yeah. Like reach out and create a connection with them create a relationship with them. You know, I, I, I mentioned, you know, how I had this initial advisor at Harvard and then I was like, ah, and I'm not feeling it. Right. You know, so I'm like, 
God, this guy, David Perkins, man, I dig where he's coming from. Well, I like, I reached out. I'm like, hey, can, you know, can we talk? I'd like to consider you being my advisor. Sometimes that's not always feasible, but, you know, that he became my advisor. That made all the difference in the world. But there were other faculty also that I connected with. And I'm always telling students in our own EDD program, like, you know, I'm always happy to talk with you. And even if I'm not your advisor, if you want to just talk shop and really talk about <laughs> this and that, right, let's talk, you know? So, yeah. but, you know, having those connections and relationships. So that's one, find out the faculty that you think you would like to engage with. They might not be, you might not even share the same interest area, but if you're in a class and you really like the person, like build a relationship with them. You know, it's all about relationships. I know you do yeah. all there. It's all about relationships. Yeah. So same with the fellow students. Like, don't live in a silo and go down this pathway and just be like in your own little bubble, right? Like, reach out and like, you know, reach out and commiserate with them about all the work and what's happening and all that kind of stuff. But like, build relationships from the get-go with people with shared interests or aspirations or whatever it is. And like, create your little group, create your little network group, create your little cohort, you know, like... Oh, we're in this together. I mean, I find in our program, like so many times, like we have this incredible instructor, Wendy Crocker. She's an early childhood educator expert. And like I had like five or six students in in one of my experiential learning classes that were all early childhood educators. And they like they were like they were like going through the program together with Wendy's mentorship. You know, I mean, that is just like and I, you know, and I you know, so you know, connect with fellow students and connect with faculty. So you don't, you know, you're not going through it, like going through the motions disconnected. That's just not a good thing to do. And I think that the last thing that I would say is think, uh, there's two things. Again, I I mentioned having ungerisms, you know, I guess, (laughs) you know, I, I I say I have an ungerism that I use with my students and it's it's I say it's not about being perfect, it's about learning. If you concern yourself with being perfect and getting the A or appeasing the instructor yeah. or doing what the instructor or you think the instructor wants, or like worrying about whether you're writing exactly the say way you're learning, then you, you've lost your way, you know, take, you know, this is about your learning. This is about what you can get from the program. Think about it's being, being narcissistic, like, okay, this, I'm reading this article, not so that I can write the perfect discussion board post, but I'm reading this article to see what I can get out of it and what, what can help me think about things. Yeah, that's very different. So it's about you. It's about your learning. It's not about being perfect. It's not about getting straight A's. It's not about giving the instructor what you think that he or she wants. This is about making the most of it for you. Now, what would you say to a student? And and this is was kind of like me, to be honest. They're going through the program. They're enjoying it, but they're a little hesitant to reach out like like we connected but it but it, it took a while you know because I was I was sort of hesitant 
to reach out, to ask that question, to connect on a deeper level. They're sort of thinking, you know, I was thinking, well, they're busy, right? They, they got a lot going on. What would you say to that student? What would you say to, to the former me? Well, I would, I would, I would say exactly what I said to this student that I referred to that did her, her action research in this rural community in New Hampshire. She was in my experience. She was in my entrepreneurship class and she was like, her focus is on like trying to figure out what she could do to assist and support the, her fellow colleagues and educators in her district and community to really serve the, the kids who are facing trauma on a daily basis. And I, I said, well, I said, you know, are you, are you reading any, are you reading any articles or research or going on any blogs or on websites? And are you finding people that are talking about this problem and what can be done that kind of interests you or excites you? And she says, oh yeah, there's, this is, you know, there's these great people across the country that are working in this realm and they're doing this stuff. And I said, have you, have you wrote them and asked if you can talk with them? And she's like, what are you talking about? And, and, you know, in fact, actually is part of the assignment in the entrepreneurship class. The, the, I, I force them to talk with other people because it's part of the assignment. It's like, you have to reach out to at least two, if not three people in this field that are doing work in this area. And they're like, oh shoot, I actually <laughs> have to do this. And so I told her, I said, look, I want you to email them and say, you really like their work. I'm a doctoral student. I'm trying to do this in my community. You know, I would love, if you don't mind, I would love to talk with you for 15 or 20 minutes about how I can help my community do X, Y, and Z. A couple of things that are in that point, right? First of all, you say, I love your work. Yeah. People are like, oh, they love hearing that, right? <laughs> I love your work and I would love to learn more. This is how I build all my relationships. Across the country, <laughs> I'm connected with like educators and organizations and schools all across. And I, I, I basically email said, look, man, what you are doing at your school is like out of control. It's like amazing. I would love to talk with you. You know, nine out of 10 times, they're going to say, yeah, I'd love to talk with you. So mm -hmm. you tell them. I love your work. I'm interested in this thing. Yeah. And on top of it, the advantage is if you're a doctoral student, you can say, I'm a doctoral student. I'm trying to do X. I'm trying to figure out how to do more of this. And I want to make an impact in my community. Who's going to say, no, I don't give a damn. I don't want to help <laughs> you. I don't want to help your community. What are you talking about? I mean, who's going to say that? Now, if one or two people do say that, okay, but you know what? If you don't ask, you won't know. Yeah. What was that uh, student's responses that she got? Oh, she, they, they got back to her. In fact, <laughs> if I remember correctly, as a result, they actually contributed to the workshops. Oh, wow. Think about that. And that's another thing I would say, Ad, is when you do that, you're not only reaching out and getting information, but you're building your network of relationships with other people across the country doing similar work. Yeah. And you want to build your network. Yeah. Now seeing, I mean, you've seen tons of students come through the program as within your classes and also as advisees. What, what have you seen derail students while they're in the EDD program? They're going along and it pushes them off and they, and they sort of lose track. Well, there are typical things. There are, you know, 
as as is true with life, right? Sometimes there's an illness in the family, yeah, or one has to, you know, somebody's work. Like all of a sudden, you know, somebody's left the office, and now I have to do both jobs, you know. So, you know, if if like you know a parent moves in with you, I mean, there are just yeah. life circumstances that yeah. happen. That does happen. It happens a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and you know the, you know. We are, we, we try to be as a faculty and we talk about this quite a bit, you know, we're very understanding. I mean, you know, if you lose a job, you, you got COVID for example, or your, you know, your spouse is, or your significant other, or you yourself are undergoing chemo for cancer. I mean, you know, that can throw a significant dent in your progress, but. So I guess there's another thing to look for in the program, right? Is, mm-hmm. you know, you know, in our program, you can go from, you can, instead of taking two classes, you can go down to one class or you can take a quarter or two off. Yeah. So the flexibility of that is actually extremely advantageous. So I think life happens and life yep. circumstances are, you shouldn't, you know, be down on yourself or, you know, say, well, you know, if you need to take time off, take time off. These things are important. You know, you got to do that. I think that the other thing that might throw people off is that they're working away at something, but they're not connected with any faculty or other students that can sort of be like support, like, can yeah. be, you know, like support. So, if you are just working out like on your thesis and not connecting with your advisor or other faculty or fellow students, then you can feel sort of like isolated and alone and lose, you can lose, you know, sort of, you know, perspective and your, your, your interest can wane and your Mm -hmm. motivation can wane. So that bill, you know, find the advisor you connect with. Yeah. Find the fellow students you can use as like a support network. Really important. I like that you brought up the the life uh, situations, but then connected it to another important piece of a program, which is flexibility. And I took advantage of that at Northeastern mm-hmm. because I switched jobs and I was able to go down to one class for a couple semesters and that kept me going. If I wasn't able to to go down to one, I don't know what would have happened. And then I was able to go back up to two and then finish on time. But that flexibility is important. And I also like the way you address that, right? This happens, you know, and and there's nothing that you can do about it sometimes, you know, different life experiences. And that flexibility is really helpful. And the isolation, you talked about that earlier, right? Being connected, reaching out to both faculty and other students. So we have these two connection points. And that's really important to have. I want to add real quick here. It's really important, and this is not a small thing, because I've talked with lots of students about this very thing. It's like if you're going to engage in this, you need to like figure out, like schedule into your day-to-day life, like and tell your family and your friends, like, okay, here's the deal. Saturday mornings, don't bother me. Friday, whatever it is, whatever the schedule is, whatever the expectations, if you're always having to negotiate with your family and your friends or work around this or that, you're going to (laughs) die. Schedule it, schedule it, create the expectations. You know, this is important. This is what I'm doing. I want you to honor that. I want you to be supportive of me. 
setting that up from the get-go is really important. Yeah. Dr. Unger, I want to sort of ask the last question coming full circle. Yeah. Right. We we talked about finding the way and we spent a lot of time sort of getting into that and and talking about that. But now I want to end with the last question, sort of sort of helping the EDD student find their way forward because this student has their doctoral diploma in hand, right? They've just been hooded. And now they're thinking, what am I going to do now, right? Right? What, where's my way forward? I've found my way through this program. This has been really helpful. I was able to connect my research to action and my passions and interests. But now what? So help us as we sort of finish this conversation. How should this student, this newly minted doctor, move forward? Well, you're not waiting until you get hooded to ask that question. Yeah. I mean, I'm asking that question from, you know, I teach the, I also teach one of the first, you know, courses, the foundation course, the very first quarter. And I'm saying, okay, how is this work going to propel you to do what you want to do in the next four to five years? Mm -hmm. So you're not waiting till you're hooded. You're not waiting till the program's done. I'm actually having you think about that from the get-go. And so you know what steps you're taking through the program and what action research you're going to undertake that's going to lead you to do what you want to do moving forward. You don't wait. You're not standing on the stage after being hooded and then going, oh, no, now what? Because I've talked with you all the way through the program about what that is. Hmm. So it's just living out that what what they've been doing, what they've been learning, what they've been chasing. Now it's time to continue living that out. Yeah, exactly. It's like this is going to lead, like the example I gave earlier about the my advisee who wants to leave her college uh, position and work with another organization to kind of broaden and expand her impact across all you know people from 18 to 40 years old on their social emotional well-being and health she's like so that's what she wants to do in the future so her action research is creating that so while she's in the program she is creating her future it's not Mm. waiting till the program is done and asking what is my future she is creating her future while in the program yeah yeah i love that Close us out with a final word on the EDD. Well, you know, you shouldn't get the EDD. Well, it's kind of a, I shouldn't, I'll put it this way. Yes, unfortunately, still today, there are positions and opportunities that require you to have a doctorate. So we cannot dismiss that, right? You know, I remember a fellow calling me, you know, three years ago, four years ago, says, I, I, I'm going to be the next college president. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. He says, yeah. <laughs> well, because they all wanted me to be the next college president. And I say, well, that's great. If people want you to be the next college president. Yeah. Yeah. But once, once I said I would, then they said, okay, you have to get your ADD. I wasn't planning in my ADD, but it makes sense. You know, if you're a college president, you have to have your doctorate. And, yeah. you know, so like, so, okay. All right. I got it. But now... But now, how do we make sure that you're doing what you want to do and need to do and that's going to benefit you being the college president? Like, how do we design your program? How do we design your EDD experience 
around really facilitating you to be able to do what you want to do as the college president. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you shouldn't be doing it just to have the EDD though. I mean, the most important thing is to be asking yourself, okay, what is this program going to provide with me with that's going to create my greater sense of agency and actually open doorways and create more possibilities. And that is why, and it's true. I mean, if you do not go through the process of the EDD, like unfortunately or not fortunately, unfortunately or unfortunately, however you want to put it, but you know, when you're in the program, you are going to be pressed to think about yourself as a change agent. You are going to be pressed to become a scholar practitioner. You are going to be pressed to engage with stakeholders on how to, to make a significant difference in their communities. You're going to be pushed and pressed to do a lot of things that you probably would not press yourself to do. So if that press and that community and that context and that commitment is going to make all the difference for you to gain that sense of competency and confidence and agency and opportunity, then you should do it. I love that. Dr. Unger, thank you so much. You brought us from the beginning all the way to the end, whether it's someone trying to find their way, trying to select an EDD program, trying to be successful within that program and then live it out afterwards. And all of your advice was so, so helpful. So thank you so much for all of your action-packed insight. Listeners, thank you for joining us on the EDD Pathway podcast. If you like this episode, subscribe, rate, review, and share it out. Be sure to check out eddpathway.com to get helpful resources for your EDD journey. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire.